Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. It's the Danny Mac Show with BK. Broadcasting live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Welcome into the show. It is the Friday edition Danny Mac show. BK alongside Tanner has the day off. And so we have the great Marty with us. Marty is incredible and has helped us out and has lined up Frank Viola, who was a uh, integral member of the uh, Minnesota Twins many seasons. He is now actually coaching in baseball, but uh, was part of the 1987 team that beat the Cardinals and looking forward to visiting with Frank Sweet Music Viola. So that is coming up. Uh, it's trade deadline morning as we close into, what is it, 3 o'clock Central? Yeah, that's correct. The uh, ending time. So we're under five hours from the trade deadline and Major League Baseball being done. And remember, there's not the, uh, the waiver deadline anymore. So this is it. Uh, at basically, unless you go to your minor leagues, uh, you're not going to be trading with anybody because this will be the team that you have. And, man, have we had some deals in baseball late last night. It's fun. It's like hot stove. I love it. BK, good morning to you. Good morning to you as well, Dan. Let's go through the list real quick, and it's only going to take me a minute. <laughs> Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, Anthony Rizzo, Kyle Schwarber, Daniel Hudson, Diego Castillo, Danny Duffy, Ryan Tapera, Cesar Hernandez, Brad Hand, Joey Gallo, Starling Marte, Luis Sessa, uh, Eduardo Escobar, Kendall Graveman, Andrew Chafin, Tyler Anderson, Adam Frazier, Nelson Cruz. That's the extensive list other than some of the smaller names that have been dealt. Dan, this one has delivered. It has. Normally at the deadline, it's a whole lot of talk without a whole lot of sizzle. There's a lot more uh, players that are brought up than are actually dealt. This one has actually given us some sp- surprises. Last night, Trey Turner actually being dealt at the deadline. That felt like the classic, hey, he he might be dangled out there in some trade discussions. For it to actually go down and the way that it went down with him going to the Dodgers along with Max Scherzer, that's one of the most stunning trade deadline decisions I've seen probably in the last decade at a minimum. Well, Mike Rizzo wasn't lying when he said everybody's available <laughs> with the exception of Juan Soto. I, I I just didn't think, Turner, it would happen. But apparently, I mean, you don't know what happens behind the scenes and how many times they have gone to him or his representation and said, hey, let's uh, let's think about this. Let's get a framework going. Let's start doing it, which I'm sure they did because you're not going to give up on a guy like that in his prime who's been a great player for you. He's a very good defensive shortstop. Um, if he was going to hit the free agent class of shortstops, I might put him at the top. I mean, I really would. He's that good. He's hitting 322. 890 OPS, 18 home runs, 22 stolen bases. And oh, by the way, he can play second base. And if need be, he could play the outfield. Mm-hmm. And so the other part of this too, BK, is that everybody was saying, well, Scherzer is going to the Padres. Well, the Dodgers said, uh-uh, we ain't going to let that happen. So let's kind of get into this a little bit. Yep. If you're the Dodgers, this is what you've been dealing with. You've got Dustin May, who is done for the year with Tommy John surgery. He's a stud. And was, you know, a guy that they were going to count on. I'm going to say that Trevor Bauer is done. And probably done in Dodger blue, no matter what happens. Clayton Kershaw, Mookie Betts have had their fair share of injuries. Corey Seager was out for two and a half months. Cody Bellinger is scuffling. He, he's not been very good. So what you get now is that Seager's healthy. 
and you can put Trey Turner at second base. Then you also get Max Scherzer. Now, we'll get into that in just a moment. But when you think about not only for the now, but the future, you can, if you're the Dodgers, I would assume you could say, all right, we let Seager walk, and we've got our shortstop for a year. That's Trey Turner. Now, as it pertains to Scherzer, you can say, well, Trevor Bauer. We, we invested a lot in him. Obviously, it's gone south. That money very well could get off the, the books, depending on how badly this turns out for him. And the Players Association steps up and says, yeah, we want no part of that, too. Now, that's millions of dollars off the books. And you say, okay, we got our guy. We gave him a taste of this for two months. Maybe he likes it here. Might be going for the highest uh, 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 bid that's out there for him. But we could be one of them. And so we introduce ourselves to Max Scherzer, who, by the way, in at least 15 starts in postseason play, strikes out 11 per nine. So in 2019, or since that time, Trey Turner, seventh among position players in war. Max Scherzer, sixth among pitchers in all the baseball in war. In Nats history, you wake up today, your best player in war wins about replacement. Max Scherzer, 39.8. I would say that was a pretty good deal for uh, what they paid him and what he returned with the championship. Trey Turner is sixth all-time in their history, 22.5. The Dodgers now will have four Cy Young Award winners that pitch for them at any point in time this year. Clayton Kershaw, David Price, Trevor Bauer, and Max Scherzer, and they get the steal of the night. We say steal. They gave up a lot, but they get Scherzer and Turner and a chance to repeat as champions. Before this season, no team had ever had three Cy Young Award winners and three MVPs appear on their team in a season. The Dodgers are about to have four of both. It's, it's incredible. unbelievable. And, Dan, I got to be honest with you, I kind of hate it. Um, I, I love the activity that we're seeing at the deadline right now. But the Dodgers have gained this feeling of inevitability where it's like the Dodgers are going to be there in the NLCS and they're almost... At least it feels this way right now. It could change. Who knows what happens in October? Baseball can be random sometimes. But it feels like they are inevitable to make it to the World Series again. And I don't like that. Um, and this is just me, my personal sensibilities. I hate it for the Nationals and their fans that Trey Turner is dealt now. It seems unnecessary to deal him this early. But whatever. We can set that aside for a moment. What I hate is that in the National League right now, you're looking around and there's so many fun teams that could potentially have a chance, whether it's this year or in the future. And for a lot of them, it feels like it's, what are we doing here? The, the Dodgers have become the Alabama of Major League Baseball. They've got the money to do it. That's a thing. And it's so hard for me to look at that and be like, yeah, baseball's in a great spot right now. So I don't know how you fix this. I really don't. Because the, the players are not going to agree to a salary cap system. It's just no. not going to happen. And without that, I don't know that there's anything that you can do to prevent something like this from happening. But the Dodgers, I think I saw it yesterday, they have like a $260 million payroll or something like that. I mean, this is this is getting to the point of what are we doing here? The tax threshold, by the way, to put it in perspective here, is 210. So, yeah, I mean, they're well above that, and they will continue to do that. And they also have, to their credit, though, a very good farm system to pull off these deals. Now, you got to draft and develop those players, and they've done that. So that's to their credit. A um, couple other trades I want to get into, and then we'll get to Frank Viola. Red Sox, Kyle Schwarber. So the Cubs, think about what they've done. Rizzo gone now to the Yankees. Schwarber was not brought back, and so he is now a member of the Red Sox. 
Uh, the next to go will be Bryant or Baez or both or Kimbrell. So that uh, dynasty that was in the making never came to fruition in terms of multiple championships, but they got the one in 16. The Red Sox, um, you know, you think about adding Schwarber prior to, to hitting the injured list. He was the hottest hitter on the market. He was on fire. So that lineup includes Kike Hernandez, Xander Bogart. You got Renfro, uh, Verdugo, J.D. Martinez, and now you add Schwarber. That's a very good lineup. Let's turn to the Yankees. Oh, boy. Yankees get Rizzo and Gallo, and they're 53-48, and 48, so they're five games above 500. The Cubs actually will pay the rest of Rizzo's salary remaining this year, $5.5 million. So they stay about 4 or $5 million under the tax of two hundred and ten. dollars um, They needed left-handed help because yep. there's such a right-handed lineup, and going into the – before the trade, they had only 22 home runs from left-handed batters. Now they had 39 when you talk about Gallo and Rizzo. Um, he brings on base percentage, certainly with Rizzo. You get a left-handed bat. Joey Gallo plays every day in left field. He can play center. He can play right. And it gets you away from having, to an extent, with Rizzo, specifically the three true outcomes, strikeout, home run, walk. So all of a sudden, they've really improved from the left side of their lineup. They were right-handed heavy. And now they're not, and they get two big bats. So we know whenever we talk about, like, OPS+, plus, WRC+, plus, I know people get lost in the numbers sometimes, and I totally get that. But those are adjusted for ballpark factors. And the reason that we do that, Dan, is because of players like Anthony Rizzo. Because if you look at his stats this year, he's been a good player, objectively. But if he played at Yankee Stadium, according to the numbers, he would have 23 home runs this year. 23 if you look at his actual numbers i think it's like 16 that he's had so far on the season um it's just him going to this park is going to be a perfect fit for him and for joey gallo gallo wasn't hurt by the fact that he was playing anywhere his bombs go a million miles away so these are the perfect types of additions for what they needed you mentioned it they needed a lefty power and now they've got that. They were way too right-handed, and now suddenly you're going into the stretch run with two of the better lefty hitters in Rizzo and in Gallo that you could have possibly acquired. I wonder what this does for Luke Voigt if they f- try to flip him and maybe improve their relief pitching. Now, I bring up Luke Voigt, former Cardinal, obviously Missouri State, played uh, high school baseball here, St. Louis native. 22 home runs last year, led the major leagues. He was the home run champ. But he's had two different knee injuries this year. He's been dealing with an oblique. When he has been playing, it's been kind of ineffective. Now you have your first baseman that's going to play every day, and that will be uh, Luke, uh, or rather Anthony Rizzo. So got to wonder if they flip Voight. I-, I would wonder if the Brewers would call on that. Be a good move for them. They need that. Um, that would be. Some, I, by the way, I love that they got Eduardo Escobar. If I'm a fan mm-hmm. of the Brewers. First of all, I can outpitch anybody, and that's why it's nothing is guaranteed with the Dodgers, the Giants, or the Padres. The Brewers can flat out pitch. Uh, <laughs> they can dominate, but they need offense, and they need it in the worst way. They're in the bottom three of average in all the baseball. So a guy like Luke Voigt, do you take a flyer on him? Maybe so. And there was a report today that it sounds like Jesus Aguilar, who was somebody that would have made sense for them coming back, yeah, uh, he's not going to be traded today, it sounds like. So if that's off of the table for you, well, now you kind of pivot. Who's the next best available first base, power bat? It's probably Luke Voigt, if he is sincerely available. 
and there were reports that emerged last night for salary reasons. They might want to get him off of the books as well. It makes a lot of sense, Dan. And they, the Brewers, if they've got anything in surplus, it's probably pitching. So that, that would make a lot of sense for them. Yep, absolutely. We're going to get more into the trade deadline, some news and notes around Major League Baseball coming up later in the show. But up next, Frank Viola, the uh, Minnesota Twins, are in St. Louis. So we'll get his thoughts on this uh, match up the Twins and the Cardinals and catch up with Frank Viola. And that is next on 101 ESPN. Really looking forward to having the chance to visit with Frank Viola. And you think about a guy that could flat out pitch lefty Frank Viola. And this is what I love 10 times, 10 different seasons in his career well above 200 innings, which a guy gets to 200 innings now, like, oh, my goodness. He did it 10 times, 176 wins, three-time All-Star, and won a championship uh, with the Minnesota Twins against the Cardinals back in 1987. We wanted to get Frank on the air because the Cardinals play the uh, Twins tonight to open up a three-game series. That's BK. I'm Danny Mack. Hey, Frank, uh, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. Really appreciate it. And uh, welcome to the airwaves of 101 ESPN here in St. Louis. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Appreciate you having me. You got it. Uh, let's get fans caught up on what you're doing right now. You still have a hand in the, the game of baseball. What are you doing? I do. I, I'm working for the High Point Rockers. They're in the Atlantic League of Independent Baseball. Um, we're, the, we're the guys that uh, people will be talking about over the next couple of weeks because we're the league that's going to be moving the mound back a foot start next Tuesday to try to bring more offense to the game of baseball. What do you think about that in terms – I mean, I'm sure you can go a million different directions having coached a lot of guys and pitching coach and, and pitched so long in the big leagues, but about injuries and can it had a positive effect on offense, all these things. Do you, do you think it's good, bad, and different? What, what are your thoughts? Uh, my initial thought is that the game uh, – the mound hasn't been moved for 168 years. Why are we changing that now? Uh, that was my initial thought. You know, I understand the game is lacking offense – but I really believe that they might have come up with the answer with the uh, that sticky stuff that everybody's using and checking on. Um, one of my players uh, happened to have that stuff that they're talking about in Major League Baseball, and it does absolutely increase the spin rate when thrown properly, when used properly with that and, and the baseball. So I think if you, cur- if you curtail that, I think that you'll get a more fair playing field for both the offense and the pitchers. So I really believe doing this is a drastic move. Uh, they say it's going to speed up the game. I don't see how it's going to speed up the game and get more offense put in the game. So, I mean, there's a whole bunch of positives. Uh, well, let's, let's put it this way. There's not a whole bunch of positives in my eye as an ex-pitcher. But, uh, you know, we are an experimental league. We are a partnership with MLB. And when we signed that agreement, we had to agree to a, a few things. And, this was one of them, so we're just going to have to do the best we can. I've never taught 61 feet 6 inches, so God only knows how I'm going to do that. <laughs> but uh, we'll see how it plays out. Hopefully it'll just be for this half a year, and we'll go back to regular baseball starting next year. Frank, that's what I wanted to ask you about is a little bit of a follow-up question is, okay, so you're doing this midseason. How difficult is that training-wise for your pitchers? I know it's only a foot, but – I would imagine that might change some things, whether it comes to the release point, the mechanics. How, how difficult is this to make the change mid-season for your pitchers? Well, I wish I could answer that. Um, we haven't even attempted to try it yet. You know, all 14 guys on my staff, not one person has gone back to try it because we didn't think it was going to come to fruition. But now that it is, 
after the game on Sunday when we start our second half on Tuesday. We're going to have to figure out a way and figure out a way fast. But the point you're making right there is that the thing that scares me is it doesn't sound like a lot when you're talking about a foot, but when you've been doing it your whole career and you have a set way of doing things as far as your workouts, this, that, the other, a foot could become drastic, and that's where the injuries could come into play. So hopefully we won't see that. Hopefully we'll uh, – uh, we'll be able to put numbers up with the track man and all that stuff for Major League Baseball to see, and hopefully they'll realize, you know what, maybe this move is not going to be necessary for the future. And it's so funny how it coincides with the CBA, you know, with the collective bargaining agreement being up after this year. There's going to be so many questions involved with that thing. Uh, it could be long, ugly, and tedious uh, trying to come up with the, uh, you know an agreement for both sides next year. Correct me if I'm wrong, too, and Frank Viola is our guest, been kind enough to uh, help us out here on the show and talk a little bit. I wanted to get you on about Minnesota and St. Louis, but I definitely wanted to talk about this stuff, too. Um, The double hook rule, is it being used yet? And for fans who don't know, once a team's starting pitcher is replaced, the pitching spot takes over the DH. So from that point on, the team would be using either a pinch hitter in that spot or relief pitcher bats, um, and so the, I guess the idea would be to push your starter a little bit further and try to keep starters in the game a little bit longer. Um, are you guys using that, or is that going to be implemented in the second half, and what are your thoughts on seeing that if you have so far? We have used that the whole first half, and we're going to continue using that. Um, I understand the point of doing it. You do want to stretch out the pitchers, but it's so funny because the people from Major League Baseball who are running this, um, you know, the leader of this uh, of these new rule impl- impl- implementations is um, Theo Epstein. He's one of them and a couple of ex-ball players, uh, Raul Abanez and another guy that pitched for a little bit in the big leagues. But these are the guys that are throwing these rules out there. And it's so funny because if you remember the Chicago Cup Cleveland Indian World Series back in 17, I want to say something along those lines, was, one, was the first time that they – pretty much drew the importance of starting pitching out the window. I mean, as soon as they got through the lineup two times, they were in the relief at the bullpen. And now all of a sudden, the same guy's trying to say, okay, now we have to stretch starting pitches out again. So uh, kind of weird in that regard. But uh, it has been difficult because we only have four bench players. So if a pitcher happens to get knocked out, knocked out in the first inning, you got to go – you lose the DH right from the get-go – and then a pitcher who hasn't hit in 10, 15 years might have to hit just to be able to keep him in there for a little bit longer, or you use the bench, and by the end of the game, you have no bench left. So it has changed the strategy of managers, but it has also prolonged games because you're keeping guys, especially starting pitcher in the game, longer than you should because you're trying to keep your bench strong and, 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 and usable at the end of a game. Yeah, and I'm su- assuming, too, you're saying a four-man bench and probably one of those guys is your backup catcher. And Correct. a lot of you know managers do not want to burn that guy in case something happens to the everyday catcher, and then you got to go to emergency catcher. So essentially, then, you're almost down to a three-man bench. Correct. And, and no, well, look, this league used to be a bunch of veteran ball players. Now, because of these new rules and everything else, we're losing the veteran ball player because they don't want to change their, their ways that they've done their whole career. They still want to get up to the big leagues. They still want that opportunity, that dream, and that's why they're doing what they're doing. But now we're starting to get some college players in here because, A, they're the ones that would like to try doing this stuff, and, B, we're finding ourselves with more utility-type college players, a kid who might have played the outfield in college, but he was also a relief pitcher. We have to have those kind of players because – if you bring him into the ballgame, at least you know he can swing the bat and he's not going to hurt himself swinging the bat. So there's a whole bunch of other game plan strategies that the managers and coaches in this league have to do now that they never had to worry about prior. 
Frank, are there any changes that you've seen implemented, whether it's this year or over the last couple of years, that you have liked, that maybe you were skeptical of on the front end, but you ended up seeing it and it played out, and you're like, okay, this might not be as bad as I expected it to be? Well, there's a few. I I like the three three batter minimum. Um, You know, it's being able to come in and get that one lefty out as a lefty specialist is a wonderful thing. But think about how often that slows the game down because after one batter, you're going back to the bullpen and you have all that stuff. I like somebody who has to be able to get lefties and righties out alike. That's what pitching is all about. I like that role. Um, I also like, not to, the, not to the major leagues so much, I, I, I think that that's changing it around, but I like the two seven-inning doublehead, the doubleheader seven innings because, especially in minor league ball, you have set innings, pitches to your pitchers, so you could always keep a watch on that. And I also like the man on second base with uh, in extra innings because you're not going to have a 24-inning game. You're going to get an inning or two, maybe max, and you'll have a, a winner and a loser, and you'll be able to save your bullpen for the future. So uh, that's all for the minor leagues. I don't like the big league. I, don't, I, I think big leagues, you have nine-inning games. That's the way it's always been. And I also like where you have the extra innings. And the way they're doing it now, guys, is that their AAA teams are half an hour away from the big league club, so they're moving up and down, sure. guys left and right, so you don't need to have to worry so much about that at the big league level. Frank Viola is our guest, and he was a member of the 1987 Minnesota Twins. Uh, it's tough to talk to you, Frank. You broke my heart, but that's okay. I'm, I'm going to move on. Um, tell me about that series. It was a great series going back and forth. You guys obviously were loaded. The Cardinals were loaded. Um, but what, what do you recall about that series of 1987? Well, I know, for, you know we were the first team. There was we were the first teams to win all seven games at home. That's right. Yeah, uh, I think that was the first World Series. The other thing that people don't realize, and yes, we were we we, we didn't realize how good we were until you know five years later when we were celebrating our five year anniversary and realized you know we had a lot of talent on our side. And we didn't give ourselves enough credit for it. We might have been lacking a little bit in the starting pitching category, but our bullpen, our hitters, our defense, really strong. So I think we didn't give ourselves enough credit at that time how good we were and could compete. But the thing that the Cardinal fans have to realize is that I didn't have to face Terry Pendleton. I didn't have to face Jack Clark in that series because Terry couldn't swing the bat right-handed and Jack was hurt. You know, So I, I, it was advantageous for us to a certain extent. I'm not going to say that that lost the series for the Cardinals, but I think that when you when you talk to two player caliber two caliber players like those guys, it does make a difference when you approach each and every game. I'm going to tempt fate here and ask you about this mm-hmm. um, because it is a famous moment in Cardinals history. If you say Tom Lawless, to help me. So anyway, it was. Go ahead. Go ahead. So go anyway, ahead. 1987 was a really good year. <laughs> <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm only kidding. Uh, I, I I guess it might be the original bat flip. You know, I mean, um, did you want right to did you want to drill him next time? Or I mean, come on. I mean, it, that back in the day, you didn't do that, and he did it, sure. and it barely made it over the wall. What, what were you thinking? Truth be told, yes. I would have loved, and I told him this afterwards, I would love to have had an opportunity other than the World Series to face him one more time so I could have drilled him. <laughs> <laughs> that was old, but that's old, school, that's old school baseball. Now it's, a, it, it's an after, you know, it's a, it's a after fact. It doesn't matter. But, I mean, at the time, first of all, you got to take a step back and realize that Tom Wallace only hit like two homers his whole career. And right. to do it in the limelight when he did it, uh, it's, pretty, it's actually a pretty cool moment for him. You know, it's easy to talk about two thirty plus years later when we won the series and we know we won the series. But you know, at the time, it was a little frustrating because 
I, I, that was kind of an important game, and you know, to give up a three-run bomb to Tom Lawless is not the way I expected the, that game to go down. But uh, you know, more power to him. Uh, we were fortunate. You know what the funny part about the whole story is, guys? Uh, I, I ended up talking to 600 press after the game, explaining why I threw the pitch, how I, you know, so on and so forth. How did he hit the home run off me? Blah blah blah. There's nobody left in the locker room when I'm leaving to go home, except for a granny lady in the hallway of Bush Stadium. And I walk out of the locker room, and she goes, "Oh, Mr. Viral, I've been waiting for you all this time." <laughs> and I'm like, "I'm like, you got to be kidding me, lady! First of all, how'd you get in here? Anyway, she goes, "I have this baseball. Would you please sign this for me?" And she waited like, I mean, an hour and a half, two hours after the game, everybody's done. So I signed. And she goes, "Oh, thank you so much. My grandson's gonna love this so much. It was Tom Lola's." <laughs> I got to sign a baseball to Tom through his grandma. And by the way, I'm very good friends with Tom, and I do the Cardinal games. And uh, if you would have plunked him, he would have, you know what? He would have said, oh, I deserved it. He's he's old school, too. So he yeah. would have said, I absolutely deserve it. And you probably know Tom has been coaching and managing for a long time in the minor a long leagues. Time. Yeah. yeah. So he gets it. Um, I, I do want to ask you, but though. You admit, but you got to admit, that was a heck of a bat toss. It really was, especially on his spur of the moment type of thing like that. Well, Jack Buck said, uh, Tom Lawless, that is hard to believe. That's, that was the call. So everybody was in shock. But you've got the ring, and that's all that matters. Um, I, I am curious what you think of the Twins staying in Minnesota and now finally getting a new ballpark. And as a guy that had a, a great history there and success, um, what that means to the alumni of the Twins, just to, you know, to make sure that they stayed in a, what is a very good sports town. No question, you know. And, and truth be told, we had very we had a lot of success at the Metrodome, but that never was, never will be. And thank God it's gone a baseball stadium. You know, when you only have a few months of beautiful weather in the Midwest, you want to be outdoors and enjoying it. And being in the Metrodome was not off thought of a good time. So that being said, when they bought when they built Target Field, they put it downtown. They put it. I I just think it's a special special stadium. They did a great job. It's like they dropped it from the sky yes. and put it right there. And, and, and that's baseball. And, and, you know, the fan base that the Twins have always had uh, it is similar to yours with St. Louis. I mean, you, you put a product out there, the fans are going to come, and they're going to continue coming. The problem is they're just so up and down as an organization. From, from year to year, you just don't know what kind of team you're going to get and brute for. So from that standpoint, it's a little frustrating. But that, that they stayed in Minnesota and have become a staple of Minnesota, that's special because, as you as you know, the, the sports town of Minnesota in all their sports is pretty impressive. Final question that I've got for you, Frank. I want to go back to that 1987 World Series because when, whenever we have anybody on that played against that, the, those 80s teams, the Whitey Ball Cardinals, I got to ask, especially for a pitcher, what was it like going up against those guys when you've got – Coleman and McGee and Ozzy and everybody that can make so much uh, hay on the base paths. What was it like with those guys on the bases, knowing at any given time they could go off and run? Well, that was the big thing. Uh, I mean, the key for us in the series, the key for us every time I faced the Cardinals when I was with the Mets, strike one, get ahead in the count, make them earn their way on the first base. Because once they get on first base, as you know, they did, they wreaked, they wreaked havoc. So uh, my, my game plan was, please, don't walk anybody, make them hit it, and, and hope for the best. And for the most part in my career, when I faced the Cardinals, I think I had pretty good success on, on the whole. 
I was able to do that. But, you know, it, that, that that's a lost art in the game today, uh, the stolen base. You know, bringing speed back in the game, moving runners along, all the little stuff that we used to do back in the 80s and 90s that made, you know, that made baseball baseball. You know, I'd like to see some of that get back in the game. But when you have a lineup, when Tommy Herr hits, what, maybe four or five home runs, but he drives in 105 runs that year or something along those lines, that's pretty impressive when you said, when you take a step back and realize how that was accomplished. But you also have to credit the Coleman's and the Smiths and the Begues for getting on base and getting over and scoring position for him for those opportunities. So it was a fun team to face. Uh, they weren't going to hurt you, well, with the exceptional Wallace in the game four. They weren't going to really <laughs> kill you kill you with the long ball. So they had to generate runs. And Whitey Ball at that time was fun to watch. It was very successful. Hey, Frank, this has been a pleasure to visit with you. You're a class act and uh, wish you the best of luck. Uh, I, I want to see you back in the big leagues. I know you understand pitching as well as anybody. And uh, this has been a lot of fun. And thanks for hopping on with us. We really, really, really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for the time, guys. You got it. Thank you. That's uh, Frank Viola um, working in the Atlantic League, which is kind of the the league that's doing some of these crazy things like moving the, the mound or the rubber back by a foot. And that is a massive amount Huge. when you start talking about baseball. I, I will be fascinated to see what happens with that. I'm also fascinated to see some of the numbers with the larger bases, what's going on in a ball with the electronic strike zone. Cause now we got a little bit of a sample size. So I am interested about that, but uh, that was fun, man. He was great. He was awesome. Uh, I enjoyed hearing about his memories from 1987. I really enjoyed hearing about some of the things that you're talking about there with what they're doing down in independent ball right now. I cannot believe that they haven't trained at all on moving the mound back. I'm surprised to hear that too. That's that's terrifying, honestly, because you, you got to be a little bit concerned about what is this going to do for these guys? I know he said that there's a lot of younger guys that are down there too. Is this going to cause some injuries? We talked about this with the sticky stuff now imagine forget sticky stuff you're moving the the actual tangible place where you're throwing from back a foot that's big i I just can't see him do it at bk i I mean i I applaud them for looking at various things and and you know what minor leagues are there for development i understand that and doing some of the things with the shifts and the bag and maybe the the hook rule with the dh i'm okay with it but man moving the mound back by a foot eh I don't know. I don't know if I like that. Dan, I've got a couple of uh, trade deadline developments to pass along. You want to get into that coming up on the other side? Let's do it. Does any of it involve St. Louis? One of them actually does. It's in, in all seriousness, I'm not overstating this. The first trade rumor involving the Cardinals that I've seen in, I think, the last 10 days. Well, you set it up. Go ahead. What do you got? This is awesome, Dan. We've been waiting 10 days for this exact moment. According to Thomas Harding of MLB.com, he covers the Colorado Rockies for MLB.com. He says, quote, even with potential trade partners who made other deals, the Rockies are still in talks with a handful of teams on shortstop Trevor's story. You can count the Mets and Cardinals in on those talks. All right. Somebody, a Cardinals fan, responded to him saying, so you're saying that the Cardinals are in on story or at least discussing it? He responded very succinctly. Yes. Wow. Okay. Well, we have uh, just over four hours away from the trade uh, trade deadline being done. So, also one stay other tuned thing to, to add 101 for you. ESPN. How about this from John Heyman? Dodgers, Nats, Scherzer, Turner, Mega Blockbuster is still not quite done. 
Details apparently remain to be worked out. They are working on those details right now, and one would think they'll find a resolution in the next five hours. But, quote, the Padres are standing by just in case. Man, can you imagine if after all of this hoopla, something comes up and they're not able to come to a full agreement and the Dodgers don't get this done? I don't think there's any way that that happens. Uh, Jeff Passan on the mega deal that might be, I guess, but I'm going to say it is. Here he is. This is quite simply the blockbuster of blockbusters in baseball. You look at Trey Turner and Max Scherzer. These are two of the 15 best players in all of baseball. And when you add them to a team that already has Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger, Walker Buehler, Clayton Kershaw. I can go on and on about the talent that the Dodgers have already. Remember, they're the defending champions from 2020. And when they're going to put out a team that has this much talent on the field, they're the favorites in 2021 now, too. So they're trying to finalize that deal. Massive prospect hall pitcher Josiah Gray, catcher Kbert Ruiz, the centerpieces of that deal. And so apparently the Nationals, Jeff Passan says this, they aren't done with GM Mike Rizzo. So Mike Rizzo is busy, busy, busy. Earlier this week, after the Nationals got swept by the Baltimore Orioles, Mike Rizzo, their general manager, started calling around to other GMs and saying, everybody but Juan Soto is available. And that really piqued the ears of some teams out there thinking, Trey Turner, you know, a guy who behind Fernando Tatis Jr. is probably the second-best shortstop in all of baseball. Right. Well, what the Los Angeles Dodgers wound up doing was not just going after one of them, but getting both of them. And and the fact that they were able to pull this off, they gave up Cabert Ruiz, a really good catching prospect. They gave up Josiah Gray, who's made a couple of starts in the big leagues and looks like he's going to be a very good major league starter. And listen, Trey Turner's sticking around for another year after this year. So Corey Seager, their starting shortstop, who's a free agent after this season – they got his replacement. Bob Nightingale of uh, USA Today, speaking of the Nats, uh, they will also, he just reported this, they will be without infielder Starlin Castro, receives a 30-game suspension and fine for violating the league's joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse policy. The Nats have come out and said, uh, upon the completion of his suspension, he's done with us. So Starlin Castro would be gone with the Nationals as well. There's some uh, other news and notes that I want to get into. We talked about um, the the Yankees. So the Yankees and Aaron Boone, even though they were thumped last night by Tampa Bay, they are eight and a half out in the division, three and a half out in the wild card, and they pulled off a huge deal to get both Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo and their manager, Aaron Boone. Obviously, you know the trade that, that's gone down. So, I mean, we're we're incredibly excited to to add, you know, two two players that we feel like are really going to help us. Obviously, the talk of Joey Gallo and um, you know, look, I'm 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 thrilled he's coming to join the fold. This is obviously um, a tremendous player. I, I think you know. I, ho- hopefully, people are talking about what a tremendous all-around player. We're getting a really good athlete, a guy that runs the bases, that has some speed, that's a really good defender in the outfield. Um, So, and obviously the tremendous patience and power that he has. So excited and an all-star and just just really excited to add him and and Jolie, you know, uh, a chance to add some, some depth to our bullpen, a guy that's been really good at getting lefties out. So we're really excited. Um, Excited to see them in Miami, um, and 
you know, I, I think I think we got a lot better today. Absolutely. So they add Rizzo, they add Joey Gallo. That's 39 home runs. That helps them left-handed. So let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the Central. We know Milwaukee, they traded for Eduardo Escobar. They've got great pitching. And then there's the Cincinnati Reds. They are seven back in the division, five back in the wild card, and a potential future Hall of Famer is going off. And he turns on it. Joey Votto, force of nature. It's a new all-time Reds record. Home runs in six straight games. So Joey Votto has been on fire for the Cincinnati Reds, and we'll see if they make another deal. They had to improve their bullpen. I think they've done that. They picked up Givens. They're looking at some others, but they've got to do something with that bullpen. Yeah, they had to, and now I'm curious to see if they get anything more for the offense or maybe for the starting rotation. There's still pieces that are available today. All of the trade deadline rumors are not gone at this point. You've still got Trevor Story. John Gray, it sounds like, is not going to be moved, uh, according to most of the reports that we're seeing I'm a little skeptical now that Kyle Gibson is going to be moved, but you've still got Josh Harrison, Chris Bryant, Kimbrell, Berrios, uh, Pineda. There's still some options out there and other guys that I didn't mention that certainly could be dealt at the deadline. The Reds have some other uh, pieces that could be out there for them. Could see before the season is over some major league history before it's all done. In a getaway day, in a hot, hot day. Deep right field. Has he done it? Three shy of 500 Miguel Cabrera, and uh, he's also closing in on 3,000 hits. He's 61 shy there, which would then solidify what already is a Hall of Fame career, but that would... He's automatic. 500, 3,000, you're in. It was, there was once upon a time when it was Miguel Cabrera and Albert Pujols were the two best hitters in the sport, especially from the right-handed side. I mean, he, the Triple Crown, he, he has a Hall of Fame career already established for himself. It's been tough to watch the last four or five yeah. years, though, because he just hasn't been the same player for the Tigers, and you're watching him on a really bad team stinks to watch the end of these kinds of careers but it's good to see him getting closer to some of these milestones so he is in line for 3,000 take a guess among active players who is next uh, next on the all-time hits list among active players that's a good question um I do not know who would be next up there one Yadier Molina really interesting 2071 Joey Votto 1982 Nelson Cruz 1,866, Ryan Zimmerman, 1,826, Elvis Andrews, 1,825. Wow. Yachty is next on that How list. How about among... that for a guy that came up as a defensive catcher? Yes. He's now second among those guys. That's an incredible. It is incredible. The Cardinals, nine-game homestand starts tonight. 24 of the next 27 against teams that are 500 or, or below. So... This is a chance. I mean, you know, these teams could look different. I mean, for instance, Berrios, who is scheduled to go for the Twins tonight, very easily could be traded. Pineda, who's supposed to go on Sunday, very easily could be traded. The Braves are under 500. They have not been above 500 all season long. They're it's crazy. I can't believe that stat. They're, and, you know, they're going to get Travis Darno back. That's going to help. They could use Chris Bryant. So who knows what they look like coming through next year. Kansas City is 11 under 500. They're part of this homestand. They stink. However, they're 9-3 and three since the break. Yeah. 
nine and three since the break, just took three or four from the White Sox. And then you have Pittsburgh. They've already traded Adam Frazier. If I'm a team and I need bullpen help and I'm not going to get Craig Kimbrell, I'm looking at Richard Rodriguez. Yep. Can I go I'm get surprised him? we haven't heard his name more uh, up to this point in the deadline. Maybe it's just because people are wanting to see Kimbrell go first and that's the first domino that has to fall. But if that goes up to the deadline, I'm very curious to see if Rodriguez ends up getting traded. So the Cardinals have won 7 of 12 since the All-Star break. Milwaukee, though, 8 and 3 since the break. Something to keep in mind, doing a little research here. Cardinals, 9 and a half out uh, as of this morning only once in their history have they been 10 or more out entering play on august 1st and still made the playoffs and that was back in 1930 wow now that did not include the wild card so could be interesting here down the stretch and remember the cardinals you know they've got a lot of games left head-to-head with milwaukee and they're 51 and 51 so We'll see what happens, but I'm more interested in what happens in the next four hours with them and with Major League Baseball, and I'm sure you'll have it covered with Alex. Absolutely. We're going to get back into this Trevor story to start things out. Uh, It sounds like the Cardinals. I don't know where this is going with them. Are they legit interested, or are they rumored to be interested? We'll talk about that coming up to start off the show with Alex Ferrario. We will be joined today by Steve Little, former Twins bench coach, coming up at 1130. Keith Law, the athletics prospect writer at 115. Want to hear what he has to say? about the Cardinals prospects plenty of Cardinals and Blues between now and the end of the show at two o'clock looking forward to that Marty awesome job Frank Viola he was great today that was fun to listen to him BK Marty have a great weekend everybody have a great weekend and we'll talk to you on Monday here on 101 ESPN all right that's a good tease we'll do that when we come back on one Peloton let's go this holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.